everything. You have your Bibles. We're going to begin in Psalm 150. Psalm 150, verses 1 and 2 to begin with. Scripture says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the ferment of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. And praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Amen. With the help of the Lord this morning, I'm preaching about excellence. Excellence. Lord, we love You. We know that we serve an excellent God. And we just pray that as we open Your Word together, that You would speak to us today, that You would stir us, that You would challenge us, Lord, that above all else, Your will would be done. Lord, not ours. But yours be done in this place, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text from the 150th Psalm suggests that we should praise God according to, or in a fashion that is suitable for His excellent greatness. That's quite a challenge when you really think about it. You really try to think about how incredible God is and how majestic and glorious and excellent he is and then try to think well how do I praise him in a fashion that corresponds to his excellent greatness that's a real challenge the scriptures use the word excellent when describing God in a variety of contexts they talk about his excellent majesty his excellent power his excellent name his excellent loving kindness and his excellent glory. And when you try and comprehend just one of these areas of God's excellence, the challenge of praising him according to his excellent greatness seems to be beyond us. But it is our honor and our privilege to try. Amen. It is our privilege and our honor to try and praise him according to his excellent greatness. Amen. According to the Oxford Dictionary, excellence is the quality of being outstanding or extremely good. When we describe something or someone as being excellent, it is almost always a comparative statement or assessment. We are comparing them to other objects or other people who are in a similar area or category. When we look at competitive events such as the Olympic Games, each event, each discipline at the Olympic Games has only one gold medal position. And the winner, the person who wins that medal, that gold medal, whether it's a team or an individual, has done so because they have outperformed the rest of the field. They have been outstanding in their particular event or discipline. It is very rare in the Olympics that someone wins a gold medal just because the rest of the competitors were so miserably poor and they got a gold medal just by showing up. And they just happened, Because they were there, they were better than the rest. Some of you will know this story, but in 2002, the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City in Utah in the USA, an Australian by the name of Stephen Bradbury, kind of famous in Australian Winter Olympics, he made the final of a speed skating event. There are only five competitors in that event. Five finalists in that event. It wasn't a very long race. And 
Steve Bradbury, unfortunately, as they came round the corner of the last lap, was last. In fact, there was a bit of a gap between him and the four that were ahead of him. But then the unimaginable happened. One of the other finalists attempted a very risky move that failed, lost his balance and crashed into another skater, bringing him down. And then those two skaters crashed into another two skaters and brought them down. And because Steve Bradbury was a safe distance behind them, he was able to skate past them across the line and win the gold medal. I don't think anybody was more surprised than Steve Bradbury when he won the gold medal <laughs> that day. But if, actually, if you, I think if you look it up on YouTube, it's called a very unlikely gold medal or something like that. But this is very, very uncommon in the Olympics. Usually winning a gold medal requires excellence and skill, ability, commitment, and discipline. Even the Apostle Paul wrote to us and he said that everyone that runs in a race runs, but only one wins the prize. Apostle Paul understood that concept. And this is the kind of excellence that humanity focuses upon, that humanity is attracted to, they are obsessed with. To excel in the world's eyes, I must be better than the person on my left. I must defeat and overcome the person on my right. If there's only one position available, I must be better. I must strive. I must defeat them. I must overcome others. That's why we are excited by headlines that talk to us about champions, champion teams, champion sports people, the richest person in the world. You don't read news articles about the 200th richest person in the world. Nobody cares. But we always, you know, there's always this, oh, so-and-so is now the second or the first richest person in the world, the person who is considered the best singer, the best actor, the most famous, the most powerful, even the most corrupt will make the headlines because they were the people who were outstanding, who were extremely good at what they do, those who have excelled. We go back to our example of the Olympic Games. Who hasn't heard of Usain Bolt? Okay, most people have heard of Usain Bolt. If you haven't, that's okay. You obviously don't watch a lot of sport. But Usain Bolt, I believe at this current time in history, is the fastest human being on the planet, or at least holds the record for being the fastest human being on the planet at multiple Olympic Games. He won the gold medal in the 100 and 200-meter sprints. He's quite famous for that. If you are a devoted sports fan, you may perhaps know who won silver and bronze at some of those Olympic Games. But I'm very confident that there are very few of us that can name any of the runners who placed fourth to tenth in any of those races. Why? They didn't win. The crazy part is they were still some of the fastest human beings on the planet. I mean, to make the final ten of the Olympic Games is pretty quick, right? But nobody cares about fourth to tenth. You know, the old slogan is second is the first loser. You know, nobody cares if you don't win. That's the way the world thinks. We're talking about excellence today. To take a slightly different tack, in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, the story of Israel being delivered from the bondage of Egypt after nine terrible plagues have come upon Egypt God institutes what became known as the Passover, the Passover feast or event. And as a part of the instructions for the first Passover, 
Every household was to select a lamb. And after a number of days, that lamb was to be killed as a sacrifice. Its blood was to be applied to the door of their homes. And they were to wait inside their homes while judgment passed through the land. And the firstborn of every house was killed. But the lamb that they chose had to be flawless. It had to be without blemish. It had to be chosen in preference to other lambs that had qualities that made them unsuitable. Now, a lamb for each house, there's a lot of lambs. But each house still had the responsibility, they were still required to bring the best lamb that they could find. And in the Passover lamb and every other sacrifice, close to every other sacrifice in the Old Testament, there are beautiful types of Jesus Christ in the Passover lamb. He also was spotless, flawless, sinless. He was innocent of any evil like that lamb in its first year, and yet he paid the ultimate price. The application of his blood still saves us from judgment, and he is still the Lamb of God, as we learned earlier, that takes away the sin of the world. It fascinates me that in this hypersensitive world in which we live, that some people find the idea of an innocent animal being killed in our place uncomfortable or awkward or even repulsive. But the irony of that perspective is that they usually stop there. They don't allow their thoughts to go a few more steps and consider that God manifest in the flesh was sacrificed for their sins and for ours. Amen. And that, yeah, that makes us uncomfortable. I think to a certain degree it should make us uncomfortable but it should also make us incredibly grateful and determined that we will not waste what Jesus did for us. Amen. The careful selection of a flawless lamb was not only a type of the person of Jesus Christ, but it was also a standard that was set for our approach to worship, to commitment, and to service. Average Mediocre, afterthoughts, leftovers, and near enough is good enough were never ever meant to be a part of how we approach our God. Amen. The King of Kings took upon himself, the Bible says, the form of a servant. He laid aside his reputation, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. And I cannot find any evidence of average or mediocre or leftovers in his actions. But he gave his all. Jesus gave his absolute best. Amen. How much more ought we to do the same? In the last book of the Old Testament, the Malachi, Israel is in a poor spiritual condition. They are about to enter a period where God will not speak to them for somewhere around 400 years. In Malachi chapter 1, I want to read a chunk of this chapter, starting at verse 6. The Lord is speaking and he says, The son honoureth his father, and the servant his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honour? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And you say, wherein or in what way have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, 
And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer that now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Will he accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This has been by your means. This has been because of your actions, is what he's saying. Will he regard or accept your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on my altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name, God is speaking to Israel here, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But you have profaned it, in that you say the table of the Lord is polluted, the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. You said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. And you have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and you have brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. That's a pretty sobering passage of Scripture. And they obviously didn't listen too carefully because it didn't change anything. But the Lord challenged his people. He said, you're bringing me offerings, sacrifices that are lame. They're sick. They're injured. It's like you've got to offer it quickly because it's about to die anyway. It's in such poor condition. They're bringing corrupt offerings. They were treating what Malachi refers to as the table, which we would better understand as the altar of the Lord, with no respect whatsoever. The Lord said, would you offer that to an important person in your society? If the governor was coming to dinner, would you serve him that? Do you think that would be acceptable to him? The Lord said, if you don't understand what he's saying in in, uh, in verse 10, he's saying, he said, I wish that there was a righteous person that would lock the doors so that you can't come in and offer this poor polluted sacrifice. He's saying, such is the quality of your sacrifice. I wish somebody would lock the church rather than bring that into my house. God was offended by their actions, their attitudes, and their complete disregard for him and the things that were holy. Amen. I'm preaching this morning about excellence. Excellence. Excellence in the world is about being better than the next person. It's about defeating the opposition. It's about performing at a higher level of quality than those with whom we compete. It's about being better than those around about you. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He was, Paul was, seemed to be constantly dealing with the church at Corinth. And he was addressing some people there that were suggesting that different people were better than others, that they were more godly, more important, more special. And some of them even had the audacity to, to be critical of the Apostle Paul without even being subtle about it. They said that what he wrote, when he wrote to them in epistles, that he, he's a good writer, 
They said, but when he's here in the flesh, when he's present, he's very unimpressive. In fact, his, his bodily presence is pretty, pretty underwhelming. And his speech, he doesn't speak very well either. Now, they were pretty harsh. You know, it would seem to me that the Apostle Paul would not have done well in the age of YouTube celebrity preachers. He might have had some trouble. Didn't look too good, didn't sound too good. Some people suggest he had a speech impediment. I don't know if that was true. You can ask him when you get there. Pretty sure it'll be gone when we get there. But then Paul wrote to them in trying to deal with this this almost competitive attitude that was going on in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 12, he said, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. I love people that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul said, I'm not about to get into a contest about who is better at what or who is better at this or that. He said, I'm just trying to preach the gospel. I'm just trying to lift up Jesus. If you want to believe that you're better than me, he said, have at it. I'm not getting into that because he said people that start comparing one with another and start saying, well, I'm better than you. He said they are not wise. When we present ourselves, and hear me with this this morning if you hear nothing else, when we present ourselves before the Lord in whatever it is that we do, if it's our worship, our service, our commitment, our consecration, our giving, whatever aspect that you present yourself to God in, God never, ever lines us up with our brother or sister, compares us and chooses one over the other. He does not operate that way. Back in Genesis chapter 4, when Cain and Abel came to offer sacrifice to the Lord, the scripture says that Cain and his sacrifice were rejected and Abel and his sacrifice were accepted by the Lord. But this was not an elimination final. It was not a situation where only one could go through. If Cain had done the right thing, he would have been accepted just like his brother was. But he chose the wrong actions and he had the wrong attitude and he had the wrong spirit. You and I stand before God not being compared to anyone except our own selves. Preaching about excellence this morning. When my offering, my service, and my worship are measured by God, it is never measured against yours. And yours is never measured against mine. It is only measured against what I have to offer. That's where God measures. Amen. In Leviticus chapter 5, and I know if you, if you use a Bible reading plan, you read the Bible through in a year, that's a great discipline. I know if you get to Leviticus, you think, Lord, bring me through this. Because sometimes Leviticus can seem like you're wading through waist-deep molasses. But if you'll take the time, there are treasures in the book of Leviticus. When you begin to scratch the surface and begin to look at what's in there. And in Leviticus chapter 5, you can read it later, there is a process recorded that the Israelites were to follow if they committed certain sins against the Lord. The Lord said, if they do this, this is how they have to respond to those sinful actions. The initial institution or the initial instruction was that they were to bring a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sacrifice and there was a process to follow with that sacrifice. But then just a few verses down, 
it says that if they were unable to bring a lamb, implying that it was beyond their ability, most likely an economic situation, they couldn't afford a lamb, didn't have the means to buy a lamb. Then instead of a lamb, they were allowed to bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. And again, there was a process to follow. But then there's a couple more verses down where the scripture says that even if they, if they were even more poor than that, they couldn't bring two turtle doves or pigeons, that they could bring some fine flour. And there was a process whereby that flour was to be offered to the Lord as well. So as the children of God, if we were in that environment, if my friend, my brother, had money and he brought a lamb, but I was very, very poor, poor as dirt, and the only thing that I could manage was some fine flour, my offering was accepted by God just as much as his was. Because there's no comparison going on there. The Lord's not saying, well, your brother brought me a lamb and you brought me some flour, which is pretty underwhelming. That's not how God measures things. Amen. Because he doesn't compare us one to another. And I thank God for that. There, there are some men and women of God that I've had the privilege to know that I will never reach to. And if the measurement is them, then I'm going to quit now. But the measurement is, Lord, what's going on in my heart between me and you, Lord Jesus? God does not compare us one to another. But, there's always a but, it would be a mistake to misunderstand this situation. Because God is the one who tries the hearts of men. God is the one who walks up and down in our midst, who knows not only our thoughts, but also the very intention of our hearts. And so, although I'm not being compared to my brother or my sister, if I was actually able to bring a lamb and I only brought two turtle doves, what do you think God would think about that? Or even worse, if I was able to bring a lamb but I cried poor, and only brought fine flour. Do you think my offering would be accepted by the Lord? Talking about excellence. Jesus is not looking at me in comparison with you or vice versa. But he's looking at me in comparison with me. If I've got two doves, fine flour is not going to cut it. If I've got a lamb, two doves is not going to cut it. It's not going to be acceptable. And if I have very, very little and fine flour is the best that I have, I can still please Jesus. I can still be acceptable in his sight. And I know that today we are not dealing with lambs, pigeons, and flour. But I'm hoping you can grasp the principle this morning. Fine flour was a poor man's offering. But if it was his best... It was excellent in the sight of God. If it was the best he had to bring, it was excellent in the sight of God. Your excellence is not my excellence, and my excellence is not yours. Jesus said those very famous words recorded in Mark chapter 12. First of all, the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater 
than these. The consistent measurement of the first commandment is simply all. Your heart, soul, mind, strength. The measurement is all. If your all is fine flour, that's excellent in the sight of God. If your all is two pigeons, that's excellent in the sight of God. But if you're trying to slip through with a bag of flour and you've already got a lamb, that's not excellent. Don't think that that doesn't go unnoticed by the one who sees everything. I feel the Spirit of God challenging us today to examine if we're given our all or we're just getting by with minimum effort. If some of us may have lambs but we're bringing fine flour because that's enough according to the rules. Jesus deserves our best. I'll say that again. Jesus deserves our best. Whatever your best is, he's worthy. Whatever you have to offer, how awesome it may be or how embarrassingly small it may be to you, he is worthy of our best. We're talking about excellence. You know, in the scripture, it's not common to find the word excellent being used about people. Nearly always reserved for God himself, but twice in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, Daniel is described as having an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit. If you don't know the context of Daniel, he was surrounded by an ungodly society, by wicked kings, spiteful colleagues, idol worship, and all manner of immorality. Sound familiar? Daniel was not free to do what he pleased, to have his own life, but Daniel served at the mercy of a king whose people had slaughtered Daniel's people. That's the backdrop. That's the environment in which this young man, he was young at some stage in the book, I think, in which this young man had an excellent spirit. In the midst of everything that was in opposition to him, that was repulsive to him, that was unholy, that was ungodly. He had an excellent spirit. It makes me wonder about my excuses sometimes. Amen. You see, it is our spirit that Jesus is most concerned with. What's going on in our hearts and our minds is the focus of the Lord because it is what's going on at the level of the spiritual that will be demonstrated in our actions. Our actions and our external person matter to God. They do. But they matter only as an outflow of what is going on in our hearts. How did Daniel demonstrate his excellent spirit? What were the things that caused the scripture to record that about him? Firstly and very apparently, he was devoted in his relationship with God. He was committed to God. He maintained. He wouldn't eat the food that had been offered to idols. Even if it meant he had to go on a pretty boring and uninteresting diet, even when he and his friends were in a very small minority, he would not compromise his convictions. He maintained his practice of praying three times a day despite it being made illegal and it being in peril of his own life. What was in Daniel's heart? 
was never compromised in spite of everything around him being in opposition to him and his actions testified to the fact that he had an excellent spirit. Daniel knew the Shema. He was focused on his all, heart, soul, mind, strength. What about us today? Amen. We live in an ungodly society. I would still not trade places with Daniel, the things that he was confronted with. I thank God for grace today. Amen. I thank God for grace. I thank him for mercy. I thank him for his long-suffering. Without the goodness of God, without his grace, none of us would have a chance. None of us would be able to make it. But we have to understand very clearly that grace is not an excuse for mediocrity. Grace does not mean that we get a pass when we offer Jesus our lame and diseased sacrifices. That's not what grace means. Grace in no way encourages us to settle for average. Grace doesn't say, well, don't get too carried away. Don't be too committed. Don't be too fanatical. Don't become one of those religious fanatics. Rather, grace provides an opportunity for excellence. Grace says you can be excellent in his sight if you have a right spirit. The Bible tells me that we were once not a people, that we were once separated by sin, that we were once without hope. Grace is the vehicle whereby we become his sons and his daughters. It is through his grace that we have the opportunity for our sins to be washed away. It's through the opportunity of grace that we can say we have a hope But it is also through grace that you and I now have the privilege to bring to him our very best, even if it's only fine flour. If it's your best, he says, that's excellent. Because he doesn't need anything we bring him, but he wants our hearts to worship him to exalt him and to magnify him. And grace says, I'm giving you somebody who had no hope, who was lost, who was lost in this world, who was undone, who was separated from the covenants and promises of God. You are invited into that family. And you are granted an opportunity to give him the best that we have. Thank you, Jesus. And my spirit is reflected in my demonstration. I do not begin to compare myself to Daniel, but God, help us to want to have an excellent spirit. Help us to want to have a desire to bring you our very, very best. You see, that's why if there are things in our hearts, talking about our spirit, if there are things in our hearts that shouldn't be there, it seeps through. No matter how much we perform, No matter how much we God talk and God walk, if there are things in our hearts that ought not to be there, they just have a way of seeping through. It's like something off in the fridge, you know. Even if everything else in there is good, when you open that door, you know something in there is not right. We got something down in our spirit that is not right. It's going to affect us. If you've got an attitude toward a brother or a sister, let me tell you something. You can shout the house down Sunday morning, but it's not moving God. You know, it's exactly the same with talent and ability. Thank God for talent. Thank God for talented people in our midst. We, we, we appreciate their talent. But I'll tell you straight, if your talent is at 10 and your spirit's at 3, 
Your talent's not going past three. It's not going to happen. Your spirit will hold your talent hostage. That's how it works. We talk about excellence. You know, we want to do, I think we should bring our very best, but it starts in your heart. It starts in your spirit. But if you have an excellent spirit, maybe at a nine or even a ten, and if if you're suggesting you're a ten, I think you may need somebody to help you review that. But if you have an excellent spirit, it can elevate your talent upwards with it. Because that's how God works when our hearts are right. When our spirits are right, when our attitudes are right, he'll say, I know you don't have much, but I'm going to anoint and I'm going to enhance and I'm going to bring that up. Amen. I'd rather have a better spirit than my talent. Let God be glorified. When our talent is out, outstripping our spirit, we're in trouble. And we can sing and we can shout and we can dance and we can play and we can do all those things. But if our spirit is sitting at three, that's as high as anything is going to get. You know, years ago I had a friend like to play practical jokes and for the sake of his reputation I won't identify him. But uh, he, had a, he had a friend who got married and his idea of an of a interesting practical joke was, was quite a long time ago back when cars had those big hubcaps. This friend put some raw fish in his friend's hubcaps just before they went on their honeymoon. And they cleaned that car so many times trying to find where that smell was. Nobody thought to look at the hubcap. Now, that's what a bad spirit's like. You got a bad spirit, you can wash that car till the paint comes off, but the smell's still there. We've got to get it out of us. Amen. You see, if you have an excellent spirit, it gets the attention of the one who really matters. Talking about excellence this morning. And the Apostle Paul, we, we, we revere him, we respect him, we consider him to be one of an an incredible, possibly the greatest missionary that ever lived. But he had problems. He had struggles. He messed some things up. I'm pretty sure when you read the New Testament, he offended some people. He and Barnabas had a parting of the ways. Barnabas seems like he was a really nice guy. But Paul managed to upset him. Paul was a great man of God, but he was still a man. But when it was all said and done... The very end of his life in Second Timothy four and seven, Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. He said, I didn't leave anything in the tank. Whatever I had. And there were probably sometimes he had a lamb. There were other days all he had was fine flour, but whatever he had, he gave it all to Jesus. Whatever he found himself, he said, I'm going to do the best that I can. Amen. He said, I you know, I don't need to be concerned. You know, when you, when you worship the Lord, you don't have to worry about what your brother or sister's doing. You don't have to worry that they've got God's attention and you haven't. That's not how he operates. That's how the world operates. You know, one paraphrase of that verse in Second Timothy said, this is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish. Believed all the way. I want to remind us this morning that Jesus is worthy of our excellence. He's worthy of the very best that we have, however small or how great that may be. So don't look at your neighbor and think, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm keeping pace with them. God's not even looking at your neighbor. God's looking right at your heart saying, what have you given me of what you have? 
you're mixing things with your walk with God that shouldn't be there, you need to do something about that. If you're operating at the level of fine flour and you know you could be doing two turtle doves, you need to repent. Amen. You're not going to be overlooked. But if it's my best, if it's my all, it honors him. Stand with me if you would this morning. First, Lord, I have felt the Lord challenging me in this direction in my own life and I felt like he wanted me to minister this this morning. Am I giving him my best? None of us are at 100 all the time. We accept that. But whatever is our best, that's what God is looking for. He was never impressed with excess. He was impressed with a widow with two mites, with a little boy with some bread and fish, with a woman with an alabaster box. Now, that had some value, admittedly. That wasn't insignificant. But it was about, you know, she broke it and poured it out. She didn't take a little bit and put it on his ears, on his wrists, like do with expensive perfume. She poured it out before him. And whatever she had, she gave it all. So I want us to bow our heads this morning. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to shut out anybody else that's here. And I want you to just think about yourself. And ask yourself the question, Lord, am I giving you my excellence? Am I giving you the best that I have? Am I focused on having a right heart and an excellent spirit? Lord, that you would see my offering, Lord Jesus, that you would see my sacrifice. Lord God, if I feel so small and so insignificant, and God, all I have is fine flour, Lord, that's excellent in your sight. Lord, we don't have to be noticed by others. We don't have to catch the attention of those around us, but we need your attention, Lord God. We need you to look upon us, Lord, to turn your face toward us and say, that's my son, that's my daughter. They're doing their best. They're bringing me their best. It might not look like much in the eyes of other people, but I know their heart. I know their spirit. I know they are mine, and I know that they're giving me their best. God, deliver us from mediocrity. God, deliver us from near enough is good enough, from leftovers, from afterthoughts, from average. God, but I pray that, Lord, no matter how insignificant we may feel, that there would be a desire in our hearts for excellence, Lord God. Lord, that I would lift my offering to you, Lord Jesus. Say, Lord, it's all I have. May it be acceptable in your sight, Lord God, I pray. I would that you would lift your hands across this place right where you stand and present yourself to him. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's only acceptable if it's our best. It's got to be our best. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm not saying you got to pray 10 hours a day, give all your income, serve God eight days a week. I'm just saying whatever it is you do for Him, let it be your best. When you set aside time to pray, let it be first. Let it be the prime time. Let it be premier. Let it be not that which was squeezed in, Later on, when it's convenient, 
Oh God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, oh Lord, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. You are still worthy, Lord God. You are still worthy, Lord, of the very best that I have to offer, Lord Jesus. You have not changed. You're still worthy, Lord Jesus.